You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 47. So my daughter was born during Hurricane Sandy. Oh my goodness. And so I remember the storm starting and thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot move. I can't do much because if I do anything, her due date was October 30th. She was actually born on her due date. And it was like, oh my gosh, if I try to like busy myself around the house and I'm going to go into labor because I'm standing up and I'm walking and I'm doing all these things that help labor go on. So I actually remember laying in bed for two days, nervous to move, just watching the weather, right? Because it was just like a storm outside and doing the minimal movement, right? Which ironically could have worked to make labor happen because I was just relaxed in bed, right? You know, I'm in bed, relaxed, totally comfortable, just thinking like, baby, just hold on tight a little bit longer. We can't go out there right now. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Have you subscribed to the show yet? Please be sure to do that wherever you're listening to this or over at birthmattersshow.com so you don't miss out on anything. Today, we're excited to have a local colleague on the show to share her first baby's birth story. Simone Toomer is a Brooklyn-based black mother of two, as well as a perinatal professional who wears many hats. She's a doula, childbirth educator, sleep educator, lactation counselor, and soon-to-be lactation consultant. At this point, Simone is mostly focusing on nursing support, serving as a leader for La Leche League International and for Chocolate Milk Cafe, a now national organization that specifically provides nursing support groups for nursing parents who identify with the African diaspora. In addition to sharing her first baby's uncomplicated birth story in a hospital, in which she shows up pretty much just in time to push and give birth, Simone will also share a bit about the great work she's doing to improve breastfeeding outcomes for Black families. Before we jump into the story, I wanted to remind you that you can be entered to win a $50 gift card to help with your holiday shopping in two simple steps. Step one, leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen. Step two, post a screenshot of the review and podcast logo to Instagram, tagging us at birthmattersnyc. Previously, I mentioned it would be an Amazon gift card, but with the importance of shopping local and supporting small businesses, especially in these times, I've decided the winner gets to choose the merchant. We'll announce the winner on December 15th over on Instagram. You'll not only have a chance to win, but you'll also be helping other expectant parents find the podcast. So many thanks and good luck. Now, let's jump in. Welcome, Simone. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Would you please first just tell us all the various roles you play within the, you know, birth and prenatal and postpartum world? Sure, of course. So I started off becoming a birth and a postpartum doula. I did a joint training with Doula Trainings International in 2014. And then that same month, I actually did the lactation counselor class and took that exam and became a lactation counselor. I was already kind of in the lactation field as a mom, a nursing mom, and being a La Leche League member. And then soon after became a La Leche League leader. 
I've gone on to do placenta encapsulation, which I don't really do anymore. My focus is really lactation. I am Lamar certified for childbirth education. I do infant sleep education because I think it's really important for parents to know normal newborn and infant development in relation to our everyday life, right? And what expectations to have and normalizing what that first year really looks like in regards to sleep, which is so intertwined with, of course, nursing and feeding and, you know, all of those things. I think those are all my hats. I also lead Chocolate Milk Cafe, which is specifically for Black women around breastfeeding support. So La Leche League is, you know, a breastfeeding support. It's international. And Chocolate Milk Cafe is more now we're actually we've gone national, but it's very specific to Black women on the journey. I was looking at Instagram. It looked like it was about three weeks ago when, when we're recording this. We're recording this toward the end of October. But that's so exciting. I'm really excited about that effort. And yeah. I look forward to maybe you're sharing more about that after you've shared your at least one birth story, maybe both of them. We'll yes. see how we track in terms of timing. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to share about that? that was all really, I think naturally I've just become a birth justice advocate. You know, I started off really just because of my own birth story with my first and just having a passion for education and educating expecting families. And now it's just turned more into advocacy and social justice, birth justice, especially in the climate, the birth climate around black women birthing, you know, and in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And since this is a podcast and people can't see you, I don't know if you mentioned you're a black woman. I am a black woman. Yes, I am. (laughs) So I'm so grateful that you're doing that work. We need more black birth workers. You're able to support people so expertly and really advocate for people very effectively. So I'm very, very excited about the work that you're doing. And that's a big reason I wanted to have you on the podcast. But it's, you know, I was realizing that with local birth colleagues, I often haven't heard anybody's birth stories. And so I'm so excited to not only know you professionally, but now to kind of start to hear a little bit about your personal journey. And maybe toward the end, if you want to, you can speak a little bit about, you know, was it your birth experiences that caused you to want to do this work? But we'll save that for a little bit later. For now, would you like to go into a little bit about your first pregnancy and your, oh, and also share how old are your two children? I have a two and a half year old boy and my daughter will be eight this Friday, actually. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And in these pandemic times, you guys shifted as many have to homeschooling? Yes, we did. And it's exciting. Hello, homeschooler. (laughs) I'm so excited. We've had such a huge influx of homeschoolers during these times. Understandably, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but New York is so like, feels like the right place to be with that also. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's such a big thriving community. Yeah, I'm grateful (laughs) for it. (laughs) All right, great. So two and a half and about eight. In two days. In two days. Happy birthday. (laughs) Great. So... With your first pregnancy, can you just talk a little bit about anything to note about the pregnancy, different ways that you prepared for this big journey into parenthood? Did you take classes? How did you decide who your your care provider was going to be? Just any of those things you'd like to highlight. Yeah. So when I was pregnant with my first, I remember thinking like my cycle is late and my breasts are really tender. This is different, but I, I I think I've always been really in tune with my body. So I knew like something was going on. So I did find a local doctor. They were, the practice was a black practice, which I really wanted. 
And my care there, I didn't find any issue with it. It was like the typical, you know, you might wait for 30 to 45 minutes in the office and the appointment is probably like 10 minutes long, if that, right? But then I also knew that I wanted to go more holistic and natural in my birth journey. And I also had a good college friend who was also pregnant. Our kids are like three weeks apart. So we both found doulas through the by my side birth support program, which is a local doula support program with the Department of Health that services neighborhoods of high infant and maternal mortality. It is parts of Bed-Stuy, Bushwick, Brownsville, and East New York. And through that program, she and I also took an eight-week course, a childbirth education course. I remember it was two hours every week and we would meet up and it was really fun. It was really empowering. What I like about a weekly childbirth ed is it allows information to be given in a very slow process, open dialogue, you know, couples coming together to really process information together. You're learning from each other. You're able to ask questions and then the following week go back and kind of piggyback off of that material and keep that that conversation rolling as opposed to like perhaps a three or four hour one-stop shop. Birth is a really, you know, intense, complicated, like so many emotions go into it. Right. And it's more than the physical, it's emotional, spiritual, mental. And sometimes I think in New York, because of the hustle and bustle, right. We're like, we need to fit this quick class into our schedule. Right. But when we go to well-paced class, we really get to weave out the material and see really how this is going to impact us and really understand the body, the physiology of birth, the emotional, the mental, the interventions, newborn. Like there's so much that I think if we stay on the surface, we don't get. And I found that this eight week class really, really prepared me. And yeah. Can I just chime in real quick, sure. Simone? I am so thankful that you're highlighting that. Because one of the surprising benefits of the pandemic times and going to virtual classes has been a shift. I've seen an enormous shift in my clients signing up for the longer 15-hour six-class series. I think it's because in each sitting, they're spending less time on Zoom, Mm. whereas pre-pandemic the intensives, the 12-hour, three-class, done in two weekends, you know, sitting for four hours for a class. I mean, and it was, you know, it was the same content, but much more rushed and much less time to process and assimilate the information and discuss it. And I'm so grateful that people are signing up more for this series that I think is really better. Like you're saying, you need time. This is an enormous transformation into parenthood. And I think too often when we're pregnant for the first time, we don't realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't realize Mm -hmm. what a transformative process and and what an important process it is to protect. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So anyway, thank you for For sharing that. No, that that's an interesting shift, but a great one, very beneficial Mm -hmm. to the birthing families with the more classes I took, the more I was like, I definitely want to do this unmedicated. I definitely want to breastfeed. The good friend that I was, I took the class with and we ironically, like we now have multiple kids and, you know, we're still, of course, really close. She went for a home birth, but I wasn't there yet. All right. (laughs) 
But I remember expressing my birth plans to the practice I was in. They were, it was two male doctors and a female. And I remember saying, I don't want an epidural. I have a birth plan. And they, and I remember clearly it's 2012. Why would you do that to yourself? You know, it's, a, it's an age of modern medicine. And then I saw another provider, maybe the following appointment, and she was a female. And she said, I have five kids and I took an epidural with every one of them. And I thought to myself, well, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> you know, and the way she described it was, you know, contractions can be really painful. Birth could be really intense. And I don't want you to panic and the baby's heart rate starts to decel and we have an emergency. And, you know, at the time I was not a doula. But it just the language and the conversation didn't seem right to me, right? It really felt like I'm taking the steps to make an informed decision here. And I'm equipping myself and my partner to really have this experience we want. And of course, we all want a happy, healthy baby, right? But I trusted like I'm a low risk woman, right? And why will things start to just randomly go left? And so I didn't push back, but I knew like, okay, I'm going to labor at home as long as possible with my doula. We are going to go to the hospital last minute and ideally it all works out. That's really how I approached it. And I also remember, you know, just also wanting to breastfeed and in hindsight, you do, unfortunately, because of everything around us telling us, oh, we may need to supplement or we might need that C-section or birth is so painful, we might need this epidural that, you know, my husband, my mom, like people did come to me with like, well, you don't want to be too close-minded. You may just want to get formula just in case, or, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So just be prepared for like, quote unquote, the worst type of thing. And nothing honestly in my gut made me worry. And I don't know what that was, but I think it really, it impacted my positive in-hospital birth experience. And I think it's important to know with the right support and education, you can have the birth you want within a hospital system. And I think that's all, like from a doula and midwives, I know some people think like a doula, you're just all crunchy and, you know, granola and stuff, but you can have the birth you want, you know, within a hospital system. Absolutely. And I love something that I think I'm hearing, Simone is that you you said earlier that you're really tuned into your body. It sounds like you're also really tuned into your inner wisdom and intuition in a way that really helped you make informed choices. Yeah, I do. Am I reading yeah. that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. And you know, I will say when I when I do share my second birth story when that time comes, it, it, what changed with me, you know, five, five and a half year difference is actually as I got older, I got more anxious, which is ironic given the, you know, my choice for the second one. But there was still something in me with this was like, I'm going to be okay, you know. Mm -hmm. And what was funny too, which I didn't know, is that my care providers, they were all OBs and they had midwives working at Methodist and I believe Kingsbrook Hospital. And I did not know at the time that their midwives attend the vaginal birth and all of them attended the cesarean. So I didn't get any of them at the time of the birth either. But it was appealing to me that they did have midwives, even though it was a hospital setting. So I also remember taking like a Saturday morning with the midwives to like do a childbirth ed also with them. So my daughter was born during Hurricane Sandy. And, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so I remember the storm starting and thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot move. I can't do much because if I do anything, her, her due date was October 30th. She was actually born on her due date. 
And this, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, if I try to like busy myself around the house and I'm going to go into labor because I'm standing up and I'm walking and I'm doing all these things that help labor go on. So I actually remember laying in bed for two days, <laughs> nervous to move, just watching the weather, right? Because it was just like a storm outside and doing the minimal movement, right? Which ironically could have worked to make labor happen because I was just relaxed in bed, right? So, you never know how that's going to play out, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm in bed, relaxed, totally comfortable, just thinking like, baby, just hold on tight a little bit longer. We can't go out there right now. And you're based in Brooklyn, right? I don't know if that came I up. am in Brooklyn, yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm about 15 minutes from Methodist Hospital where I chose to give birth. And it was, we remember Hurricane Sandy. It was one of the worst hurricanes, right? (laughs) Obliterated the Rockaways, right? Yes. Yeah. That was the one. Mm -hmm. Like people lost their homes, floods. Mm -hmm. And so the Monday night, the 29th, the storm had calmed. There was still some wind happening. And I went to bed and I woke up at two o'clock. And I had to use the bathroom. And then I came and laid back down. And 20 minutes later, I got up with a cramp and walked, like just paced at the bedside and then laid back down. And then 20 minutes later, (laughs) it happened again. And eventually I was like, oh, okay, this might be something, right? And my, my, my contractions actually every hour it halved. So like two to three, it was 20 minutes apart, three to four, it was 10 minutes apart. Like it, it progressed really, really fast. And I remember waking my husband up and my sister was also with me and she was in the living room and he walked out and was like, we think Samantha's in labor. And I just like got really quiet, was in and out of the bathroom a lot, got on my birth ball in the bedroom And I remember sitting on the birth ball, having hot flashes. So I was taking off clothes and putting on clothes and taking off clothes and putting on clothes in between contractions. And around like 4.35 o'clock, I was like, we have to go to the hospital. Like just something shifted in me that said we had to go to the hospital. I was experiencing contractions in my lower back. So I was on the birth ball, bending forward, rocking back and forth. We had called my doula, but of course, because of the storm, we were like, do you come here? Do we labor at home for a little bit? Do we go to the hospital? But once again, intuitively, I was just like, something has shifted. I can't remember if I was spotting, but my my waters were still intact for sure. I was vomiting already and I had diarrhea, which is all great signs. Now as a doula, <laughs> we're like, yay, right? <laughs> I always say in class, birth is a little masochistic or a lot masochistic in that what once seemed like a negative or, you know, sick sign is actually, yay, feels especially cruel during this time of the pandemic, right? (laughs) You know, it's funny because so many birthing people I hear, they're like, oh no, I don't want to poop in front of anybody or, or even how do I know if I'm pushing right? You know, and it's kind of like, if we see poop, we're like, yes, you know? So I got dressed, my husband (laughs) went to go get the car, but because of the hurricane, a lot of wires and trees were all over the the streets. So we had to reroute quite a bit (laughs) to go to Methodist, even though it's a very quick drive. And when we got there, first off, I remember sitting in the car in the front seat and holding onto the handle at the ceiling, like right at the side. 
And every time I had a contraction, I would lift up and move my hip forward. Nobody can see me, but I'm actually like (laughs) demonstrating what I would do. And it just felt like I had to give room for something, right? So I'm there. You're saying this was in the car, right? This was in the car. I I did the exact same thing. I could not bear the bumps and things on my pelvic floor. It's like, ow. So I'm there like contorting in the front seat because it just feels like something is happening and I need to make space and of course be more comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. We get to the hospital. It's around six o'clock, 630. It's like things happen. Like I don't remember. Like it's like I get out the car. I remember sitting in a wheelchair. Then I remember triage. I don't remember much in between. And I remember my doula meeting us there and the doctor First off, it's after Sandy. So my doctor didn't make it. I got a random doctor that was already there and lights are kind of on, kind of off. And he examines me. He goes, you're nine centimeters. Oh my gosh. Wow. Right. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, but my water is still intact. So they bring me to the labor room and they say, so we're going to break your backers of water now. And you might decrease in dilation if we do this, which I like, I don't understand that, but he's like, you might, it might be some time. Basically he's saying, he's like, we're going to break your back of water and we're going to come back in a little bit. Right. So I remember at nine that- centimeters. What? <laughs> that is bizarre. <laughs> Every time I think about this, I'm like, what was he thinking? So they break my bag of water. I remember everyone leaving my sister, my husband, they start to go to the, they're like walking to the vending machine. They want to get a snack. And within minutes, I'm like bearing down and you hear, <laughs> right? And Can I ask I, you one quick question sure. before you go into the pushing? When they said, we're going to break your waters, did you feel like that was mandatory? Yes, I did. So a few things happened before they broke my bag of water, which they had me sign all these papers. So I'm mm. in the middle of contractions. Right? That's no fun. Laying down on my back with a nurse to the right of me with papers and I can't even focus. And I tend to labor like internally, which I think a lot of us do, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. my eyes are closed. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to look at you. Mm -hmm. And I just remember just like quickly scribbling my name because, you know, papers needed to be signed. And I remember my doula, like looking at me when they said they had to break my bag of water but not necessarily saying anything per se. It, you know, it was my decision. And I thought, I did always think like your bag of water has to be broken to give birth. So sure, I'm nine centimeters. I'm right there. Let's break it. And so he breaks it. They leave. And I start to bear down immediately, pretty immediately. And within two or three pushes, my doula is like out the door, like, guys, come back. You have to come. So nobody even made it to the vending machine. No, but, but I remember the doctor go, Are you sure you're a first-time mom? We're taking just a quick pause in this story for a brief word from our sponsor. Are you wondering what breastfeeding will be like? Have you heard it's really hard and really painful from friends? I'd like to share with you this fantastic online course that was created by top breastfeeding experts. In the Natural Breastfeeding Online Course, here are just a few things you'll learn. That breastfeeding doesn't have to be painful, and it shouldn't be, and how the position you breastfeed in can make all the difference in the world. A 40-day blueprint to maximize milk production and help you meet your long-term goals, including returning to work. 
how to relax while breastfeeding so you don't have to choose between getting your rest and feeding your baby, how to prepare your home environment for safety and convenience, how to identify when you need to get help and where to find it, and the most common reasons breastfeeding derails. The course is broken down into 60 brief videos, each titled as common questions new breastfeeding parents have. So you can pick and choose the questions you have or go through all of it. While the regular price of the course is $147, because Birth Matters is a professional member, we're thrilled to offer this course to you at a steep discount. To learn more or grab the course, visit the show notes for this episode at birthmattersshow.com or visit birthmattersnyc.com slash online hyphen courses and click the Natural Breastfeeding Online Course button. Please note that Birth Matters students or alumni are eligible for an additional discount on the course. Now back to Simone. But I remember the doctor go, are you sure you're a first time mom? You're, you're sure you, you've never done this before? <laughs> because okay. it went so quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember laying on my back and them directing me how to push, but I really was pushing intuitively. I didn't have an epidural. I had no Pitocin. I just had the monitors on me at the time. And she came out at like seven something. So within an hour of being at the hospital, she came out and I did tear. I had a second degree tear, which I think comes more from, even though I was spontaneously pushing with the nurses. And once the doctor came in, they directed me on how to push, which we know what evidence now says about spontaneous pushing versus directed pushing. Mm -hmm. And with my second birth, I could compare that pushing stage and what happened and I'll share it another time. Mm -hmm. But it is, we do know that evidence shows when you're listening to your body more intuitively, you have a less chance of tearing as well as depending on the position you're in and so forth. Mm -hmm. When my daughter came out, they put her directly on my chest and the nurse that was there, also lactation consultant, came and she latched immediately. And we started our breastfeeding journey, which I uh, nursed her for a very long time. (laughs) Because of the hurricane, I also had a private room. Nobody was in my room, which worked to our benefit. I was able to take the class. And it's funny because I actually, during COVID, worked at Methodist you know, as a doula and a lactation counselor, which is kind of like a 360, which was really nice to just be on the floor. You know, one of the lactation consultants that was there, I remember her from my birthing journey um, and and lactation journey. And I, I went on to like really have no postpartum issues. You know, six weeks later, you know, you go to your postpartum visit, they're like, hey, you're healing fine, birth control, you're good. And they, you know, that's it. And yeah, and I I breastfed with no problem. I remember though, at my six week visit, they kind of like gave me a bunch of formula, like just have this just in case. And this just all goes back to like, I knew I didn't want an epidural. I knew I wanted to breastfeed. My family was very supportive of me breastfeeding. But if there was any doubt or any mixed messages, we could so easily be steered in another direction. Not to say things don't go off plan sometimes, right? Or there may not be reasons why we need an intervention. But I think, once again, going back to knowledge, informed decision-making, advocacy, right? Trusting the process, which can be so hard sometimes, we can really be easily and not purposely, no one's trying to like purposely persuade you per se, or quote unquote, damage your journey to the birth you want. Mm -hmm. But we just, it's so easy to just take in everything and just 
like be there and just be like, okay, I'll, I'll just, just in case type of thing. And we do know having formula on hand also increases your chance of using it too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you are like, I'm breastfeeding and I'm going to stick through it and access support, then you have more of a chance to also um, reach your breastfeeding goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So often when people are coming to class and I ask a lot of questions on the intake form and ask about, you know, how they're planning to feed their baby. And, and so often I get people saying my mother and my sister, actually just this week, someone said my mother and my sister were unable to breastfeed. So I'm really concerned that I'm not going to be able to, and my encouragement to them routinely, very consistently and frequently is it's likely more likely than not it was a lack of support that caused them to be uh, you know unable to breastfeed yeah. so yeah it, it's we just need that support right and so it's one yeah. reason that i'm so excited about the work you're doing <laughs> No, we, I mean, you make a good point. And I, I laugh and I usually say, no one wants to be Googling a lactation consultant at 2 a.m., right? Like, no, like just be prepared. You may not need one, but just have some support lined up, um, yes. whether it's a support group or a professional to just a- assess the situation if needed. And sometimes it's just like, hey, you are doing so great. Look at your baby gaining so beautiful, beautifully from your milk. And other times <laughs> it is tweaking and positioning and latch, right? But yeah. we do know those early day supports really impacts initiation of breastfeeding and duration of breastfeeding. Right. And it's a lot more uh, on the other side of it when people are experientially going through it and trying to learn how to do this. It's so often I get this feedback of like, it's so much more complicated than I realized it with it. People just think, well, it should come naturally. It should yeah. be very easy. And yeah. yet it's not, it's so, I mean, it's, and for some people it is yay mm-hmm. for them, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Breastfeeding was challenging for me and for, you know, the vast majority of people who lactate is it can be very challenging. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I'm actually happy that my second breastfeeding experience was very different. And so I, I empathize and I have the knowledge of what it's like to have a really easy quote unquote journey and then a very complicated, stressful one, mm-hmm. which only adds to my passion for this work, you know, because I know what it's like to feel like it's all falling apart. Mm-hmm. Well, before we talk about the work you're doing to support lactating birthing folks, I would love to, I wanted to ask you a question about just backing up a little bit to the birth and, and prenatal prep as well. You mentioned that you chose that you preferred to work with uh, a, a black doctor. Is that right? Yes. So I actually aired someone's birth story earlier in this season who also had that preference. And I asked her what guided, what caused that preference. I'd love to hear from you, you know, your yeah. rationale and reason. Yeah. I, it's funny because also I think, because I chose the black midwife in my second, but I think reasons were different. I just, hmm. I, I feel like intuitively, I just wanted a black doctor. I just wanted someone that looked like me supporting me. I didn't think from the perspective of like, they know, you know, my journey or they'll better understand this and understand that. I just was like, I just want to, you know, be with a black doctor. Sure. <laughs> And then that quickly changed, of course, becoming a doula and being educated where my my second decision in my birth practice was more so around, I want to survive. I want to, you mm-hmm. know, I want someone that's going to understand my birth journey, understand me as a Black woman, 
support me as a black birthing woman and so forth. And then also individualistic care. Mm -hmm. With the other person who was sharing in her first pregnancy, she was aware of black maternal mortality rates and the challenges in our U.S. maternal healthcare system. Were you aware of that with your first pregnancy? No, I wasn't. Okay. It sounded like maybe you weren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Many people aren't. And that's a reason why I'm really wanting to on this podcast, just spread that awareness and equip with resources for support and Mm -hmm. finding great practitioners. So thank you. But I will say the By My Side doula support program, it does educate like through the prenatals, we have three prenatals where they do educate about what's happening, right? Amongst black communities. They educate also on like the difference in brain development for a baby from 37 weeks to 39 weeks when we talk about early induction in black women, right? They talk like every prenatal visit is focused on a different type of education topic. And then there's also three to four postpartum visits also to really ensure you're getting the support for breastfeeding or however way you choose to feed your baby and postpartum recovery. And I think that's also a nice, that's really what helped me succeed with my, what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. With education and really just manifesting that. Nice. And when you showed up to the hospital and you said it wasn't your doctor, I guess, was it a black doctor or was it not? It was an Indian doctor. Indian, okay. Yes. Or, you know, East, East Asian. Although you might've yeah. had your eyes closed so much at I that did, point I that did. you didn't even notice who the was man, there. And I kind of remember how he looked. Right. But honestly, I'll say I never even thought about calling my doctor, which he wouldn't have made it anyway, because it was overcame <laughs> Sandy, but I didn't even think about calling my doctor. So when we got there, they did call him to let him know. And he was like, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no way he's making it. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, shifting back to the breastfeeding, do you want to share it all? You said you breastfed your your first for a long time, yes, right? So I do did. you want to share a little bit like how long and did you have judgment around you or were people supportive? I'd love to hear about that. Sure. So I breastfed my daughter until about three years old and it's considered extended nursing. You hear that a lot in the United Our States. Our silly culture. Right. <laughs> But it's actually very normal for mammals to feed for, you know, the first few years of their life. There is never not a benefit to breast milk. I've had people like waxing my eyebrows and somehow we're talking about breastfeeding and they're like, well, you know, after six months that breast milk means nothing. Right. And I joke because I'm like, breast milk change. It's a live food. Whether your child is teething, eating dirt, has a cold, right? It's changing every day to meet the needs of your baby nutritionally and also with antibodies, right? And then also, of course, there's the comfort level to breastfeeding and just bonding that a baby wants with their mom. So I chose to feed for three years. My daughter actually was diagnosed with sickle cell anemia as an infant. And I think also subconsciously, I, in my head, it was like, this is the best thing for her and her immune system. You know, we've never had an issue and, you know, and I'm very, very appreciative and thankful for that. And she was in daycare around a year and a half. So by that time she was maybe nursing in the morning and sometimes not even that, but more so at night for comfort and to go to bed. She's a very independent and free-spirited child. So she would just come back to mommy for a little reassurance and then go on her way. I love that. And while you were doing that, were you attending league meetings? I was, I was. So nobody, like people were supportive in my family 
my mom's side of the family is from the Caribbean. And for them, it was really normal to see breastfeeding. But once it hit a year, that's when people were like, really, Simone? And then my father's side of the family, I do remember very early them like trying to get me, give me formula packets and like, oh, we're going to the mall. Just bring this in the, in the bag with you, throw it in a bottle. And it was kind of like, no, it's easier for me to attach my baby to my breast. Thank you. You know? And I think, and if this frustration and there's so many times I hear a parent express, you know, like I'm staying with my mother-in-law or whomever. And like, they're trying to be helpful. Of course, they have no ill intentions, but the, you know, they're constantly pushing, like, let's give the baby cereal. Let's give the baby formula. Let's give some purees or something. So just going back into like standing firm in like what you really want as a parent, I think could be really important and empowering too, you know, and then also knowing and educating family members on other ways they can help. Like everyone wants to give the baby a bottle, right? They just want to feed the baby. And it's It's so true. People come to birth class and they're like, how soon can my partner give an overnight bottle? (laughs) It's like the burning question besides after like, when do we leave for the hospital in labor? (laughs) (laughs) And it's, and so it's also with that question, not quite understanding supply and demand. Like, yeah, of course your, your partner can give a bottle, but you're going to need to be pumping. So you need to choose, are you, which is easier pumping or putting baby to the breast. Totally. Yep. I bring, point that out. And then all of the great ways a partner or grandparent or in-law can help besides giving a bottle, right? There's so many things that they could do where it's funny because everyone thinks about a bottle when they think about helping. Yeah. One of the dads last season pointed out that it was this epiphany that he had early on with their newborn. He's like, there's nothing I can't do for the baby besides breastfeeding. (laughs) This is amazing. It was so (laughs) such an epiphany for him. He just was like really, really jazzed by that. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) But it's true. It's like have the, the nursing parent nurse and then take the baby and walk with them, swaddle them, baby wear. You know, you could do so many things. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great. Well, so do you want to share a little bit about the current work you're doing to support birthing families? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I did start off as a La Leche League leader probably in like 2014, 2015. It is an international group. And I was doing the bedside location. But unfortunately, and I'm still doing it. The COVID has definitely like changed the way things look. But even with bedside, I was finding I wasn't reaching as many Black families as I wanted. And in becoming a La Leche League leader and a, a, a doula, I decided I wanted to become an internationally board certified lactation consultant, very long name, but it's basically like the quote unquote gold standard of lactation, right? Where you're practicing, you can practice internationally, which I joke now, like if I ever want to leave the United States, right? But <laughs> Depending on how the election goes. (laughs) (laughs) On my way out, right? Um, But, and then I also thought like I would be, my services could be more accessible. And it is, for shorter terms, IBCLC, you do clinical hours, whether it's in a hospital, a, a pediatrician's office, you do a mix of education from the sciences to math to psychology, which I did in in college. You have a mentor. So a really well-known mentor, LaShonda Dandridge in Harlem is a Black IBCLC. She's one of my mentors. I worked with Leah Rivera of Empire Lactation for Mm -hmm. a bit, and we still bounce off of each other. And so LaShonda 
has helped to bring Chocolate Milk Cafe into New York. Chocolate Milk Cafe is a breastfeeding support group for nursing parents who identify with the African diaspora. And we know that there are not many Black IBCLCs, right? We, we need more Black IBCLCs. We need more Black midwives. Black families need more support, period. And so now after, I, I believe I did that training in 2017 because I was pregnant. I remember that. And now we have monthly meetings. There's a Harlem location. There's a Brownsville location. There's a Newark location. I think there might be even two New Jersey locations. Then you guys could check out Chocolate Milk Cafe online. And we meet once a month for about an hour and a half breastfeeding support. Some people attend prenatally just to hear what's going on. And they know they might be considering breastfeeding, but they don't know how that's going to look. They want to make sure they have support. And then we also continue postpartum and we've had, you know, toddlers still on at a year, a year and a half. And ironically, besides breastfeeding, it just becomes a community. Like everybody wants a community after a baby to say, hey, that's normal. Don't worry about that. Or I tried this. And everyone's journey is so different that I think having multiple people to just bounce ideas off of and questions off of and really just normalize what being a new parent looks like, right, is really, really important. And I'm curious, with Chocolate Milk Cafe, how is it just that there are so many of you leading groups that you're reaching out to your own communities or how, how is it being promoted? Yeah. So we have an Instagram page now. We also have a Facebook page. We have a website, which just launched earlier this month. So those are like our main forms of advertisement and marketing. One of the IBCLCs at Methodist, well, two of the IBCLCs actually at Methodist that I was working with during COVID are also leaders. So it's definitely something that we give to our Black patients, you know, on the postpartum unit. We, we've spoken to pediatricians. LaShonda actually works at a pediatric office in Harlem. So so outside of like home visits, it's definitely a great resource for just ongoing support virtually. And is there a specific hashtag? I'm just curious if somebody wants, I mean, I know definitely go to Chocolate Milk Cafe yes. directly, but is there a hashtag that someone would want to, that would bring yeah. up the relevant information? Now that I think about it, uh, Chocolate Milk Cafe NYNJ probably is like the, cause we started off just New York, New Jersey and now it's expanded. It started There's off, two separate Instagram yes, accounts, right? Yes. I noticed that. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it started off in Arkansas with the midwife, Hakima, sister Hakima Payne, really mama Hakima, because she's a mother. And just a midwife really noticing that her community needed support, right? And what does it look like for Black people to come together and have safe places to really talk about what's going on with themselves and their development and raising their kids in this community. And so we wanted to bring that here. And so it's just expanding right now. We're looking to expand to Queens and who knows where Yay. else more. I like hearing um, that. <laughs> yes, yes, because you are in Queens. I am in Queens. <laughs> so it's really, it's taken off every month. We are hopping on virtually and people are looking forward to whatever, you know, we're chatting about and just that reassurance. And it is a blend of like breastfeeding support, but just like girlfriend time. That's really what it feels like. <laughs> It's so fantastic. We need community more than ever, but we always have needed it even <laughs> pre-pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like our culture is just way too individualistic and we yep. need, it really backfires on us when we enter into parenting. 
I know I asked you to spe- spell out, you don't need to chocolatemilkcafe.com is the website, it's, it's right? The way it's at, like, when you yeah. Google it, it comes right up and you can, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they have the website. So yes. I will also link to that URL and the Instagram handle on the show notes page. So listeners can find it there as well. Yes, I just feel like it, it feels like a sense of returning back to the village where, like you said, we are in like this individualistic culture. And depending on where you are, too, I find New York just feels more like that sometimes, you know. So but we need community. We thrive off of community. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the time this episode airs, you and I will have done an IGTV or an IG live, I should say, which will then hopefully save properly as an IGTV video (laughs) that listeners can go look at to get to know Simone better and the work she's doing and learn more about breastfeeding. So you can look that up. So anything else you wanted to share today that you haven't gotten to share? I look forward to your sharing your second story another time. Yeah, I'm excited for that one too. I mean, they were both great experiences, but I think the difference with the second one is just like I owned it from the very start, you know, Mm. and I was educated and had the birth outcome that I wanted. But I really think it's just, you know, be empowered, be informed. That's really like what can make or break a situation? And yes, we once again, we know when medical things arise, but then support. Even you can have, you can end up in a hospital birth, you can end up in a cesarean, but support and that love around you really is going to make a difference to, to foster those beginning days with you and your baby and bonding and pumping or nursing or whatever that looks like with you and your partner and your family. Great. Thank you so much, Simone. This has been lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Look forward to connecting on Instagram soon. And then we'll we'll schedule a time to go over your second for you to share your second story. Awesome. Hope you have a wonderful day. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that fun getting to know Simone? If you'd like to hear more of her expertise, I recently chatted with her over on Instagram so you can watch her talk about nursing support during the pandemic. You can find that over on Instagram at birthmattersnyc on my IGTV. Also, I wanted to mention a stellar podcast I discovered in the past few months called Natal. It's a docu-series about having a baby while black in the United States. And you guys, it's so good. You can find it over at natalstories.com. And of course, I'll link to both the IGTV video as well as the natal podcast, as always, on the show notes for this episode, episode 47, over at birthmattersshow.com. Also in this episode's show notes, I've cross-referenced a couple of other Black birth stories from this podcast in the show notes, episodes 16 and 43, where you can find more information on the specific challenges Black people face being pregnant and giving birth in our country, and details on how you can help improve the state of things. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next week. I remember when I was pregnant with my first and going through the classes with Lisa that I read something that said that giving birth is kind of like going whitewater rafting and that you cannot control the rapids. They are going to do what they're going to do. But what you can do is arm yourself with a lot of really useful tools like a raft and a helmet and an oar and a guide. And I felt like that was kind of my strategy was just, I can't control what happens in labor. It is going to be what it is but I can make sure that I'm educated, that I have a doula as my guide, that I have these strategies in place, that my partner is on board. And I just kind of went into it with that mindset of, I'm as prepared as I can be and whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. 
The thought I'll leave you with today is remember to trust both your body and your instincts. Thanks so much for joining me today for the Birth Matters podcast. Be well, and I'll see you next week.